Um, and that's that was the great thing about the Pete Walls review is the, the fact that he broke through this location barrier that we were experiencing. Uh, and it, it, it just goes to show you that the quality of your product is not determined by your location. It's determined by ingredients and techniques, and that's it. A trip to Italy as a young man inspired Dan Richard to go on a lifelong quest for pizza perfection. Richard is a proud New Jersey boy whose little pizzeria in Jersey City was just named the best in North America by one governing body, not to mention his three-star review in the New York Times. Where's the best pizza in the New York City area? some would argue directly across the Hudson from Lower Manhattan. The story of Ratza, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Belinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to the show again this week, everybody. Great to have you along with us. Uh, we've got a great guest today. Boy, one of the most respected guys in the business. Uh, talked about right up there with uh, the likes of Chris Bianco and uh, Mark Icono from Lucali's. And interestingly enough, those other guys, um, those other gentlemen, excuse me, uh, mentioned in a recent uh, list that just came out called the 50 Top Pizza. It was an Italian-based organization. Yours truly was um, a voter for this. Uh, they had fo- voters from all over the world. Uh, the Italian ones, not surprisingly, all Neapolitan style. Most of them are in Naples. But they had a North American category as well for the Top 50. By the way, unrelated to the world's 50 best restaurants, this 50 Top Pizza, you can go to the website at 50, uh, it's 50toppizza.it to see the list there. But in North America, um, you had Pizzeria Bianco at number two, Lucali's number three, Roberta's number four. Really, I mean, this is really a great list. There's Una Pizza Napolitana, Pizzeria Mozza, Defara, uh, Patsy's, mostly New York. But number one in Jersey City, Razza Pizza Artigianale. Hope I pronounced that right. Razza Pizza Artigianale. And Dan Richer is the founder of Razza. Um, this place, I got put on my radar a couple of years ago, actually September of 2017. Pete Wells gave it a three-star review in the New York Times. Think about that. Three-star review for a pizza place. He does a couple things besides pizza, but Dan has really uh, become this kind of a celebrity in the pizza world. When I talked to him, he was in Chicago recently for this interview, and he was going to do a, a thing with Nancy Silverton at Moza in L.A. Not everybody gets that invitation, I can tell you. And um, it's really brought a lot of attention to his pizza place, but um, so cool to see the review uh, from Wells, and then just this most recent uh, 50 Top Pizza, and he came in at number one. It's uh, It really is a remarkable place, not that far from New York City. You literally get on the PATH train, you go about two stops to Grove, and you walk five, ten minutes, and you're there. Um, really easy to get to from the city. But anyway, I talked to Dan. He was in Chicago recently uh, visiting some friends, and um, we went to a serious old-school place um, that I just... I just adore, called Freddy's Pizza. It's in Cicero, just west of downtown, about nine miles west of the Loop. Uh, and we were just chatting over um, 
some bread and some meatballs, and we had some gelato, of course. Uh, the gelato there is fantastic. Uh, but I wanted to start off uh, by asking Dan about what happened after the Pete Wells review um, from the New York Times. First of all, what happens to a place when Pete Wells gives you three stars in the New York Times? Gets a little busier. <laughs> a little bit? Significantly busier. Yeah, we had a rough go the first couple of years in business. It was uh, really difficult to uh, pay the staff, keep the lights on, and then uh, eventually, uh, you know, Pete Wells comes in and get a little busier. So you're like, is an overnight success years in the making? Uh, many years in the making. Yeah, I've been. I made my first pizza in 2003. Started my first restaurant in 2006. This opened in 2012. No matter what publicity occurs, our focus remains the same. Just we try to keep making better pizza. I went to Rutgers, studied uh, studied agriculture for the first three years of college. Realized I didn't want to do anything with that, so I got a degree in communication. Uh, flew to Italy immediately after and realized I wanted to open a restaurant in New Jersey serving really good Italian food. Because what they were doing over there was so different than what we had in America in terms of what the style or availability or their approach to food? You know, I was 21 years old at that point. I had no frame of reference except for all the Italian food that I'd eaten in New Jersey. And it, at, even at 21, eating the very simple things, pasta with tomato sauce or a simple pizza, it was just so much better and I wanted to know why. And it was that journey of discovery that led me to today. Okay, so what was your first place you opened then? Was it, was it, was it a Razza? No, it was called Arturo's. You know, I bought a failing restaurant. It was already existing. It was existing since 1990. I bought it in 2006, and I sold it in 2016. And so again, you came back not armed with a CIA degree or any kind of a special fancy culinary degree, but just a newfound appreciation and sort of understanding of Italian cooking. It wasn't even an understanding, it was just a desire to understand. So I started going to farmers markets and talking to farmers and that's where the agriculture thing came in. I could actually have an intelligent conversation with a farmer because I studied it for three years. So give me an example, like what, what's an advantage in talking to a farmer that a lot of chefs maybe don't have that you had at that point in your life? Just talking about soil fertility and... Um, crop rotation? Totally. Crop rotation is a big one, especially in tomatoes. Uh, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've never been into Italian tomatoes. I started getting into fermentation, uh, started really start studying bread making techniques. Is, that's what pizza is. It's a flatbread with some condiments baked at a high temperature. And were you like looking on YouTube? Were you reading a certain type of book? Were you looking at uh, the, the Bread Baker's Apprentice? How did you discover and learn and teach yourself? So Bread Baker's Apprentice was my first bread book. Uh, Who wrote that? Peter, Peter Reinhardt. Peter Reinhardt. Yeah. It's an amazing book. Um, but it was, it was a lot of trial and error. I, this was before... The Tartine book, this was before, there weren't that many amazing bread books. Bread and pizza, a lot of people will tell you they're different, but they are the same exact thing, okay? The, the essence of pizza is the fact that it is a flattened bread with some condiments baked on top of it. So you're 26 at Arturo's, chugging along, realizing you're not really getting any better. How did you get to Razza? Uh, I took on a partner a few years later. 
because I wanted to expand. I built Ratsa and um, in 2012. 2012. Yep. You know, I saw the trajectory of Jersey City. It was getting busier. The architecture is amazing. It was a little younger, a little um, closer to Manhattan. I love, I love Manhattan. I mean, for folks who don't know, and again, I'm coming from Chicago, you get on the PATH train um, like downtown in, in New York, and it's like two or three stops to Grove, and you're there. Yeah, it's eight minutes door to door uh, to the World Trade Center. People make a hard, give you a hard time about being in Jersey, and yet they'll get on a train and go 45 minutes to Flushing you know, on the 7 train to eat Chinese food, but they won't go eight minutes to eat amazing pizza. Totally. There's a, an emotional barrier around the boroughs of New York, and even though we're geographically and physically closer. Um, it was, back then, it was it was a world away. Um, and that's that was the great thing about the Pete Wells review is the, the fact that he broke through this location barrier that we were experiencing. Uh, and it, it, it just goes to show you that the quality of your product is not determined by your location. It's determined by ingredients and techniques. And that's it. You can make, look at Chris Bianco in Phoenix, Arizona. He's making some of the best pizza in the world. Did you feel like in 16 and 17, maybe in 18, like, I've got a great pizza here, why isn't anybody talking about this? Or did you feel like, ah, I'm not quite there yet? I still feel like I'm not quite there yet. We're still changing it constantly, <laughs> whether it's the temperature of the dough or when we cold ferment, or if we're doing room temp ferment, the temperature of our starter. There, there are so many variables that we, that we change pretty frequently. We're always trying to, to just do better work. We're trying to make our, our, our pizza a little bit better always. And it's a beautiful thing. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna keep talking to Dan about how he makes his pizza at Razza. And then we're gonna preview some scenes from our next show coming up in two weeks. So stay with us. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're talking with Dan Richer from uh, Ratza in Jersey City. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he got three stars from Pete Wells in the New York Times. Pretty rare for a, a pizzeria to get that. Although you do make more than pizza, you're more than a restaurant than just just pizzeria. But so the pizza itself. Let's talk. Let's start with, I guess, the ovens. No, no, no. Let's go. Let's talk about the dough. Um, you've said you've gone back and forth on this. Are you? Tell me about the starter you're using and how this comes together. Okay. So the starter that we use, I cultivated from wheat that I had grown for me in, uh, out in New Jersey, in Hunterdon County. Uh, I milled it into whole wheat flour and cultivated the wild yeast that lives on the outside of that wheat. And once you cultivate that yeast, then you feed it twice a day, every day. Uh, we use American wheat. I do like all-purpose flour. Um, I like a lower protein in my flour, which is definitely not the norm in pizza, typically pizza. Pizza people will use uh, bread flour, or high gluten flour, or something with a lot more protein. Um, I like lower protein. I think it gives a better texture in the mouth when you bite into it. We do a certain amount of time at room temp for bulk fermentation, and then we refrigerate, and day of it gets a solid five to, five to 10 hours at room temp also. This is an addendum to our conversation. We were driving in the car and I was driving Dan back. 
and he talked about fermentation and time and temperature and you really went deep on this. Explain why this is so important, the, the temperature uh, that you're operating at, the ambient temperature and the water temperature and everything else you're dealing with every day. So fermentation is a function of time and temperature, right? So we look at temperature and, and time as vital ingredients to our pizza and specifically our dough. You know, we have to control them and manage them so that we maintain a consistent product. We have all, all kinds of calculations for how to calculate the water temperature to use so that our dough starts fermenting at the same time and temperature every single day. Because so our, our hours are static, right? Our hours are from five o'clock until 10 o'clock. So we have to have pizza dough ready from five o'clock until 10 o'clock. So if our dough starts fermenting at a different temperature every day, then it's gonna be ready at a different time every day. But our time is static, so we have to keep our temperature static. So we manage all of these variables. It, time and temperature are more important to understand and to be able to control than the type of flour you use or, or the type of oven that you use. So based on the ambient temperature or the temperature of the, the bowl, the mixing bowl, you will adjust the temperature of the water because you have control over that. Right. So we, we take into account the air temperature, the temperature of the flour, the temperature of our starter, uh, and the amount of heat generated by, our, by the mixing process. Because that there's, you know, we have a spiral mixer that generates about 35 degrees of, of heat throughout our eight-minute mix. Um, all mixers are different. They generate a different amount of heat. So you have to understand that and you have take that into account and you change your water temperature on a on a daily basis based on what those other temperatures are that current day so in change of season when one day it's 85 degrees in our kitchen and then overnight it drops down to 59 degrees when we light our oven in the middle of our our restaurant where we make the dough it, that's going to change the temperature of the starting point of our our dough. We have to maintain consistency in, in temperature in order to get a high quality product every day. That is deep. Thanks. Okay, so orders come in. You've got to, to top it now. Let's go baseline here with just maybe a margarita type. Uh, your sauce. Tell me about your sauce. Okay, so we always have two sauces in the restaurant at least at all times. We keep them at different moisture contents based on what other ingredients are going on the pizza. So a pizza that's baked with just tomato sauce and then let's say I put burrata on top, right? That tomato that we use is at a higher moisture content than we use for our regular margarita where we're adding, you know, wet, fresh mozzarella to it, right? So if we use the same tomato for both those two different pizzas, the one that is exposed to all that heat from the wood-fired oven that doesn't have the additional moisture from the mozzarella is going to overreduce and get thick and acidic and pasty. What kinds of toppings typically would you have in market produce? Or I know you work a lot with local farmers. Yeah, so basically uh, half of our menu are standards, right? Things that are just not, we're not ever going to take off the menu, like the pepperoni, the margarita, the burrata. We have a couple of other ones that are standards. We try to go classic and simple. Are you fond of a particular type of cheese? I know grande mozzarella from Wisconsin is popular these days. I like grande. Again, we, we keep a couple different mozzarella 
products in-house at all times. Based on the moisture? Based on the what? what? Uh, no. So one, uh, one is from New Jersey. It's Jersey cows, like the actual breed Jersey cows. Um, and they're milked in New Jersey. The cheese is made in New Jersey. And that goes on our, like, Jersey margarita, which is, like, you know, a, a localized version of the margarita. A margarita with terroir, if you will. Okay. okay? Um, and then we have our Razza margarita, the, the standard margarita. And that's fresh mozzarella that we make in-house. Uh, and we'll use curd from, you know, one of the big producers, like the Palio Gold is really popular on the East Coast. Uh, Belgioioso makes a really good curd. Grande's curd is really good. Do you feel like people should be making their own mats in-house if they're going to be serious about pizza? I think that if you can if you can buy it from someone who can make it better than you, then buy it. But if you really make that commitment to understanding the science behind uh, behind cheese making, then you're going to be able to make a better product making it yourself than buying it from somewhere else, especially because even if you hold mozzarella cheese overnight one night, it changes the texture and the melting properties of that cheese, right? So by making it every day, we're, we're in control over how that cheese is melting. Um, and then how do you finish your pies? you have a different type of cheese or any kind of seasoning or just a little bit of olive oil or how would you finish? Totally depends on the pizza. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, we, we treat every pizza as a, a unique and individual thing and there's no, there's no right, there's no wrong. We're constantly... Uh, constantly working to improve even the margarita like literally I've been making this the same pizza for all of my professional career and we're still working on it whether it's tasting a new tomato or tasting a new olive oil uh, trying this trying that we're always always trying to improve even the things that we already do really well uh, and that's what keeps me fresh, it keeps me invigorated, it keeps my staff engaged, and, and that's really the name of the game. How about your oven? It's wood burning. Are you burning oak? Um, species of wood is less important to me than the moisture and the size of the piece. So dry wood? Dry wood, yes. You would be amazed at how many wood-fired pizzerias are not using kiln-dried wood. Um, we you do that for what reason? Because less smoke? Less moisture means more BTUs, more efficient burning, uh, more control over your fire. You know, you have to be able to control this fire in order to get a consistent pizza out of a campfire, right? You have to be able to control that fire. So the smaller the piece, the drier the piece, the more control you have over that fire. If you use a big piece of wood, it's going to have a lot of density, a lot of BTUs. It's going to increase the temperature of your oven a lot as opposed to a small piece that's really dry, it's gonna ignite real fast. You're gonna, you're gonna experience a, uh, an increase in temperature, but it's gonna be less of an increase than if you used a big piece. And you're not measuring your temperature constantly, are you? You don't care so much about what the temperature is, you're just baking it till they're done, you said. Yeah, we look for visual indicators in the fire, visual indicators in the oven. Um, it's more of an even, sort of an even bake around the cornichon. It's not leopard spotted at all. I don't understand leopard spots. I really don't. <laughs> it's a thing in uh, Naples, apparently. I just, I don't understand them. You just want the even bake. Like, it should I look want, like a beautiful ciabatta on the outside. I want deep, dark caramelization all the way through. I want really good oven spring. I want uh, a nice open crumb structure. Um, and I want it to be crispy. I don't want it to be super charred, but I do want deep, dark caramelization. Last question for you. I always ask this to people who make pizzas for a living. Knowing what you know now, 
what would you tell yourself 10 years ago um, about making pizzas uh, to save you some time or headache? Because you know a lot more now than you did back then. Yeah, I, I wouldn't tell myself anything. I would say just anytime you feel stagnant, keep going. That's it. Just keep pushing yourself. Yeah, because it's that journey. I would never have discovered all of this stuff if I didn't if I, if I learn from someone else. I'm not trying to emulate anyone. That's why our, our style of pizza is so unique because I didn't learn from somebody. I'm not trying to be Neapolitan. I'm not trying to fit into this box of style. Like, I don't care what style it is. I just want to make delicious pizza, right? So that journey of figuring out what is delicious pizza to me has determined what our product is today. Congratulations again on the review from the New York Times. Uh, you're making amazing pizza. I've been there twice. I'm going to go again soon. Dan Richer from Ratza in Jersey City. Go see him. Get on the train if you have to. Get off at Grove. Walk two blocks south. Dan, thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me. Next time you come to the restaurant, the pizza is going to be even better. I promise. Coming up in two weeks, a visit with one of the nation's only full-time artisan pizza consultants. You people get it hooked on this business because it's like you're in the happy business, like you're doing something that people love, you know? Like you make a great pizza for someone that reminds them of their childhood or like a long-lost food memory, you know, they give you a hug, say I love you, you know? Absolutely. That doesn't happen when you're like selling someone insurance, you know? I talked to the always opinionated Anthony Falco, one of the founders of Roberta's, who now spends a lot of time on the road showing other folks how to make their pizzas stand out. That's in two weeks on July 19th. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please review us. We are at Pizza City USA on Instagram, but on Twitter, it's at Pizza City Tours. And speaking of tours, take one the next time you're in Chicago. More information about those and how to get my book at PizzaCityUSA.com or just yell at me on social media at Steve Delinsky. It's with a Y. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. And the next time you're in Chicago, check out the Revival Food Hall in the Loop, where Pat's Pizza currently selling its one-of-a-kind tavern-style thin. Thanks for listening, everybody. And remember, optimal bite ratio, always.